Yeah. Will you uh 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 catch me if I fall? Will you uh 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 catch me if I fall? What's good, everybody, and welcome to the EuroLeague Adventures podcast. I'm Nick Gibson. Slam Meyerkoff is on his way to Israel right now, but we bring in another guest, someone for uh, for this guy. It's, it's, it's kind of like Christmas right now. Jonathan Gavoni of Draft Express. The, uh, the draft is fast approaching, and there are Euros to be selected, and we're going to run through some of them today. Jonathan, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you, Nick? I'm doing excellently. Thank you for asking. Um... But what's not so excellent is this crop of Euros compared to last year where we had uh, so many top-notch, so many lottery-type dudes coming from uh, outside of the U.S. borders. Um, is this, you think, the weakest uh, international draft class in, in maybe even like a decade? Probably. This is the ninth draft that I've been covering, and this is probably the weakest one that I've seen uh, I think it's a little bit cyclical, you know, after such a strong year. Last year, there was a couple of guys there that kind of could have gone either way, whether they were going to be in last year's draft or this one, and decided they all kind of concentrated in last year's draft because, in my opinion, the lockout scared off so many underclassmen that are now in the 2012 draft that a lot of these international kids said, well, this is a perfect opportunity to enter the 2011 draft, and they did, and it was a banner year for internationals, but that's made this kind of a weak year um, for international 2012, but I think that'll bounce back next year like it always does. Are there any guys that maybe came out last year um, in such a strong international field that if they had waited to put their name in until this year might have uh, gotten drafted higher or have improved their stock in the past year? I think you can look at maybe um, Mati Yunus as one. Yep. He did not have a lot of momentum going into last year's draft, and um, he kind of dropped as the, as the process moved along and ended up getting taken, I think, 20th by Houston. And then he moved to a smaller team um, profile-wise in ProCom, but he had a much bigger role in the EuroLeague. They lost all their games, uh, but he personally shined I think he improved on a lot of the things that people wanted to see him improve on namely his rebounding so there's definitely a case to be made that his stock would be higher had he stayed another year and a guy like Jonas Valanciunas who went off the board last year at five um uh, he's probably going to come over this year and play for Toronto uh, Sam and I were talking on uh, we mocked out this whole one through 60 draft and uh, it, it, we, we talked about this a little bit, and we gave our thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts. If Jonas Valanciunas is in this draft, is there any chance that like a Odin Durant or like a Rose Beasley, this becomes a Davis Valanciunas draft? I don't think so. Uh, he's, he's not going to excite you in a way that you think you're getting um, a franchise player, a, a, a surefire all-star, an immediate you know, go-to guy inside the paint. But I do think that he is a very, he's going to be a very, very important component of Toronto's roster moving forward. And he's the kind of guy that you cannot, you know, you can't really acquire via trade. 
you can't sign him in free agency. If you want to get a player like Valanciunas on your roster, you have to draft him. And I think that Toronto made a very smart decision in taking him where they did and letting him stay over for a year. I think he's a better player right now than he was a year ago. So I don't think he, he you know, he might be would be in the mix at two if he were yeah. in this draft. But I don't think he would be drawing anywhere near the same excitement that Anthony Davis is right now. Yeah, great year for Valanciunas in Lithuania in the VTB United League. Um, maybe a chance that he would go second in this draft. As it is, Toronto has him. But this year there are fewer entrants. We've seen kind of a trend on that the past few years uh, on uh, early international entrants. Is that just cyclical like you said? Or do you think maybe NBA teams are analyzing with a more critical eye or agents taking fewer chances with their clients? Is there any one thing that, uh, that you attribute this, this, this mini phenomenon to? I think it's it's a lot of those things, and I, I think that European basketball is is getting stronger, and um, a lot of players, uh, you know, they don't grow up, you know, watching Michael Jordan and and, and, and going to bed every night and, and fantasizing about playing on the NBA, playing in the NBA the way that kids did in the past. I think so. Um, I, I think that. Uh, on one hand, the NBA isn't doesn't have that same lure that it did in the past, and on the other hand, I think that NBA teams are looking at international players in a different light than they did back in the uh, you know the Skidishvili, Milicic <laughs> days. The gold, uh, the golden uh, age, the golden age. <laughs> I guess you know if you represented one of them, then yes. Um, if you drafted one of them, then no. But uh, you know. I think that NBA teams uh, want to see international players do something in Europe now before drafting them in the first round. Uh, and I think it's agents in Europe have seen that it's really hard to send a guy over to the NBA that's really done nothing in Europe and expect him to just blossom into this great NBA player. You know, it, it yeah. kind of happened once with no, with Nowitzki, but um, other than that, there's just been a long line of guys who have gone to the NBA too early and ended up flaming out and they go back to Europe and, you know, clearly you can see that they lost a couple of years in their development and yeah. you have to wonder, you know, what if they had they stayed and been patient and, 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 and kind of waited their turn. Yeah, for every Dirk, there's a Yaroslav Korolev, a skittish Philly. And some teams um, now, it seems, are content just to kind of sit on the sidelines and wait for that cream to rise to the top a little bit. You're seeing more guys signed out of Europe. Timofey Mozgov, 24. Gustavo Ollon this year comes in and, uh, despite some injuries, plays a little bit of a role for the Hornets. He was 26. This offseason, you're hearing names Alexi Shved, Mirza Teletovic, Andre Voronsevic. Uh, what's the risk or is there any of just saying, you know what, we're not going to dip into this European bucket right now. We're going to wait to see who plays well and who's a little bit of a late bloomer and then go get them in free agency. Well, the risk is that you you enter into a bidding war. You know, if you want to get Alexi Shved right now, you have to pay. You have to pay three to four million dollars per year, and you have to compete with his services with a number of other teams. So you could you could recruit him the entire year. You could go scout him intensely, nine or ten times. You could set up meetings with him and his agent. Um, you know, he can come visit your practice facility and, and check out everything. And then after all that process, he ends up signing somewhere else. So that, you know, that's definitely a disadvantage. And that's why I think NBA teams need to be smart about looking into that second round, that 45 to 60 range and saying, okay, 
our chances of getting a college player that's really going to make an impact at, at this stage is really, really small. Wouldn't I be better off, you know, taking a flyer on, you know, on a Alexis Shved or, you know, a Teletovic or someone like that? Because those guys were in the draft and they were considered prospects, but for some reason the teams didn't, decided not to pull the trigger on them. And I think in hindsight people might be regretting that. And there are a couple GMs that do that. You know, San Antonio likes to stash. Daryl Morey over in Houston likes to stash. And that has really, really worked out for him a few times. You're in the ears of a lot of GMs, and you're talking to these guys. Are there, are there some guys that just go into the draft knowing that there's a decent chance they're going to look for someone like that? And are there others that are just completely averse to it and are, and are cool just living in the college ranks and kind of turning a blind eye to Europe? I think... Um... All of, every NBA team, you know, takes the European market very seriously. Some more than others, you know. It kind of depends on your team style of play. Um, for some teams, you know, the, a European player is very attractive. Um, while for others, you know, he, he might he might not fit. You know, it's tough, it's tough to generalize because there's yeah. so many different styles of European players. You have now a guy like Jan Vesely, you know, who can put his head in the rim, but you know, can't shoot a free throw. And then you have, you know, your classic European guy, you know, uh, Novitski or, you know, I would say in this draft, like a, like a Slukas, for example, yep. from Olympiakos, who is a phenomenal shooter, never turns the ball over, um, you know, good size first position, but, you know, limited athlete, limited defensive potential, not going to blow by you, not going to be in any highlight reels, but it's just a very solid you know, uh, rotation guy that, you know, you could you could pay him the minimum or you could go out and sign Steve Blake for $4 million. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's kind of your, that's that, those are your options there, you know. And so, also what you got to factor in is, you know, a guy like Slukas just signs a, a three-year deal with Olympiacos, so you're not drafting amateurs. You're getting guys that you might have to pry away from another team and do that with a little bit of cash as well. So, um well, you need to express interest early in yeah. these guys. You have to come to their agent and say, we want to draft you. And if you do sign that three-year extension, make sure that there's an out clause for us. You know, you have to come to them early and you can't, you know, you can't just surprise them on draft day and pick them out of nowhere. You have to start the process in November, December, January and really make sure that the agent knows you're interested in him. And let's, let's start, you know, this pathway for him to get, come to the NBA in two or three years. Yeah. And, Getting into this year's draft class now, um, the top, most likely, the top, and perhaps only, I'll ask you, but perhaps uh, in my mind, the only first round uh, worthy Euro we got is Evan Fournier out of Europe. And here's a guy, you know, 6'7", over 200 pounds, can jump, is long, can get into the lane, can make things happen, and he's playing a big role um, in France and has been doing that for a couple years now, still just 19 years old. And it's a question that I get a lot is, is from folks back here in America, how I compare the competition in Europe. And France is not the best league over there. It is a league that is getting a little bit better. It is a pretty free-flowing league. But how do you judge a guy's contributions in France, like an Evan Fournier, versus a guy um, in college? Probably there's few people in this business that have to do that as often as you do. So how do you make that distinction? Well, I think it starts with you know the physical attributes. You, you you put him up against his American counterparts. You know the guys that are at his position. You know the the Darius Millers and the Will Bartons and, and uh, Terrence Ross. 
the like. Exactly. I know these guys. And you say, okay, how does he stack up physically, size-wise, athleticism-wise, and skill-wise? You know, and I think that looking at Fournier, I think he stacks up pretty well. Uh, you know, the big question about him is, why was he such a poor shooter? You know, yeah. he took took a lot of threes this year, took almost five threes a game and made 27% of them. You know, that's a little bit of a red flag. He's obviously not going to be able to create his own shot in the NBA the way he did in France. He's not going to have anywhere near as big a role on an NBA team or even a high-level Euro- European team as he did, you know, in, 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 you know, in France. Trying, You know, he was he almost dropped down in second division. He wasn't on the best team over there. So, um, But I, I do think that, you know that he's he could, he's going to be a solid pick for someone in the twenties and and I think that someone can get a, a real bargain there if they um, you know if they know what they're getting and they're and they're willing to work with him on a shooting which I think is very much uh, you know correctable. And right now you've got him slotted in with Indiana uh, there at twenty six and I I really think I, I look up and down this first round especially when you get into Fournier territory twenties um, and so on. Uh, really doesn't get much a better fit than the Pacers, would it? I mean, he can come in. There's no pressure on him to produce immediately. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he has said that he wants to come over uh, next year and play, and he could really kind of develop on that wing where they could use another guy to create shots but could also uh, wait a little bit to see to see how it shakes out. You know, I think, I think that would be a good fit. Um, I think that they're definitely looking at him. I know that he was in there working out. Um, I think there's a couple of other good fits as well, you know, uh, even higher up in the in, in the draft. Um, if you look at Atlanta, you know, they could definitely use a swingman. They don't send them down, don't. send them over to the ATL. We would love them. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think there's a lot of teams that could use a six-seven shooting guard who can create his own shot and has got a great basketball IQ and can pass. And at 19 years old, still has you know room to grow. Um, he's 19, room to grow, but he does have a little bit of experience and did play a big role. Obviously, he won't be expected to play that same role if and when he does come to the NBA. How long do you look down the road for Evan Fournier to be contributing at a, a level of somewhat of an impact and then at his maximum impact? I think he could be a rotation guy right away. I don't see anything holding him back from playing you know, 10 to 15 minutes per game next year. And... You know, moving forward, I think that we're going to have a pretty good idea about what kind of player he is within his first two or three seasons. All right, you're a, you're an NBA team, and you need a perimeter player, perimeter score. Um, Evan Fournier is on the board, and Terrence Ross is on the board. Who do you go? Yeah, you know, depends. What team am I? am I? If I'm Minnesota, I definitely take Terrence Ross because I need a guy that can really stretch the floor and can make shots, and I already have a couple of guys who need the ball in their hands with Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love. So I don't think that Evan Fournier is a great fit there, you know, but if you're, you know, a Memphis or an Indiana, you know, for, I mean, I think Terrence Ross is a better prospect than Evan Fournier. Okay. So he's going to be right. gone for him. So, um, but I think there's other good fits for him there in the first. Better prospect, Fournier, Darius Miller. Uh, again, it depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for a three-point shooter, a guy who can lock down on D, that's not going to want to shoot the ball very much, that you know is comfortable playing a limited role, I think you definitely go with Darius Miller there. And that's where you know Fournier needs to find the right fit because he needs the ball in his hands, but 
very rarely do you see a guy drafts in the twenties who you know comes in. They say, okay, here's the ball, go play. I mean, it just doesn't really work that way. So there's going to be a little bit of a transition for him to make, but I think that he's talented enough to to make it. Fournier, you mentioned shooting five threes a game. Um, not shy at all. Someone that I think we all want to see what he does when he's really fired up and amped up is Thomas Sadoransky. He's he's big. He's long. Uh, six 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 seven. Listed as point guard, played backup point for Banca Civica this year in Spain, at in Chicago, working out with the point guards. But after seeing him play for a while, I simply don't see it and don't buy Thomas Sadoransky um, as a point guard really ever. But, uh, you know, you've talked to some NBA guys, some NBA scouts. Do they think, because it doesn't matter, I think, do NBA teams think he, think he can ever run a team and run point? No, I don't think that some people are going to draft him as a point guard. Yeah. I think that he'll also he'll be a wing. But the problem is kind of the same thing with Fournier. Okay, he's a he's a, a wing, but he can't shoot. You know, he made twenty seven percent of his threes this year. And unlike Fournier, he didn't want to shoot any threes. You know, he shot about one point three threes per game. That's not very impressive. Um, his whole scoring game in general is 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 a little bit confusing because. He's very passive as a player. He's yeah. not someone that is you know, always looking to make things happen. He's got, you know, on paper, he's an unbelievable athlete. He can be in a slam dunk contest, but you never really see that in a game. So, you know, three years ago when he came on the scene, people were like, wow, this guy's really got a chance. But he hasn't really improved very much. Uh, you know, we were doing our um, synergy situational stats evaluations this week. And, you know, we have, we have stats on 81 players. And looking at points per possession used, which includes turnovers, assists, field goal attempts, all that, um, he ranks as the least efficient player in the draft out of all 81 prospects we have stats on. You know, so that's not, not really a feather in his cap right there. And it doesn't seem like he's doing any favors right now um, by, by calling himself a point guard, working out alongside point guards who... He just doesn't doesn't fit. Yeah, he's taller, but it's not just that. He doesn't have that same burst, the same quickness, the same fluidity as some of those smaller guys. So is he hurting himself by by parading around with the point guards? Well, I mean, I think he played point guard at Sevilla this year. When I was at the Copa del Rey, he started and he brought the ball up the floor. He kind of brought the ball up the floor and then he handed it off and he, he went to the corner. And yeah. that was the last touch he got. So if you call that a point guard, then he played point guard. But... Um, you know, that's kind of been his thing since since he, you know, emerged onto the scene. We've been writing about him for quite some time. You know, he's always had, you know, those intriguing ball handling skills and all that. Um, you know, since we first saw him in 2008. Um, even, you know, I'm looking at our profile 2008. He, he was coming off the under-18 European Championship Division B where he averaged six and a half assists per game. That was four years ago. So already back then, it looked like, you know his future was going to be at the point, but he he went to uh, a situation in Spain where they played very conservative basketball, and he was kind of playing next to a more aggressive American combo scoring guard like Earl Calloway, and um, part of it is him. He's not the most aggressive guy naturally, and part of it is his role. So um, you know maybe an NBA team is looking at him saying, okay, well. In the NBA style, where he's gonna, you know, it's more free flowing, it's more up tempo. Um, maybe he'll, he'll, his athleticism will shine through a little bit more. Yeah, but it, you know, we 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 were at the Copa del Rey there, 
And it, you know, after talking to him after they won that first game, all he said is, I want to be more assertive. I need to be more assertive. And to listen to the guy, you know, I was convinced. And it was like, okay, Thomas Sadoransky is going off tomorrow. And if anything, he was even more passive. So, um, you, you know, you mentioned he's playing alongside Earl Callaway, and maybe you do need a little bit of a, 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 a change-up um, to that speed. But by the same measure, Earl Callaway, when he wanted to go, he kind of went. And, um, and they gave him that sort of freedom. Well, one, one's got to imagine Sadoransky had a bit of a green light. So you've seen him play in less formal settings far more than I have, uh, Euro camps, et cetera. Um, does he have more game than he's he's letting on? Do you think? I mean, I, we we've, you mentioned the assists, but do you think he was just a, a a kid who was playing against smaller competition, worse competition, or or has he really just stagnated these past couple of years? I think he has stagnated, but I do think he has um, a little bit more game than he's been able to show in Sevilla, uh, or or that he's you know. Wanted to show himself, you know, because I hear the argument about wanting to be more assertive, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's, you know, you're judged by your results. And yeah. if that didn't happen, or he didn't go. Of, yeah, like, he didn't make it happen. Season, you know, then when is it going to happen? But to his credit, at the, you know, in the Europe camp type settings, in the under 18, under 20 European Championships Division B against very poor competition, he did show more assertiveness. So that's, you know, this is the beauty of the, of the NBA draft, you know, where we're projecting, you know, where you have a crystal ball and you're trying to predict what's going to happen here in the future. And, and it's tough to do, you know, and a lot of it is based on luck, you know, but I think that a team, you know, drafting in the forties or the fifties, they might just say the hell with it. You know, I mean, we don't really love any of these college guys. Let's just take a shot on Sadoransky and see what happens. And um, in in our mock that we did going back and forth, he ended up with Utah uh, at the 47th pick. Right now, you've got him slotted at the 45th pick to Dallas. Do you see him um, making a leap up or a slide down in either direction or kind of hanging around in those 40s and 50s? Um, I, you know, with a week left, you know, I mean, he's doing workouts right now. It's hard. It's really hard to know what happens in those workouts. I mean, it only takes one team to like you. Yeah. Might just go in and have the best day of his life, you know, not miss a shot and dunk on people and someone falls in love with him somewhere else, you know. So that's the tough part of my job, you know, like yeah. we don't have a complete picture of everything that's going on. So we don't know what everybody's thinking. And But, um, yeah, I mean, I think he'll go somewhere in the second, somewhere from that 45 to 60 range. Yeah. And speaking of making every shot and, and being great and having an incredible day, Kostas Papanikolaou, when we were in Istanbul for the Final Four, uh, we did not have the pleasure of watching him miss a shot. 6'8", 22-year-old, Greek small forward. Um, he's auto-eligible. And we did see him at his absolute best. Um, we're not going to get that every night out, of course, but when he is playing at a high level and at what is his high level, are there some things that he can give to an NBA team? Because I think, I think of this group, he's someone that can come in and impact the team immediately. Yeah, I think that he, well, I think the plan for him is to get drafted somewhere in the second, uh, play one more year, and then he has an out clause for around a million dollars or euros, something like that, something that's reasonable. Yeah. Um, and so our teams in the 40s, or maybe even the 30s, are looking at him as a guy that, you know, he'll, he'll play another year in Olympiacos, which is 
the highest level of basketball outside the NBA. The champs. And, you know, probably they'll, they don't have a coach right now, but they'll hire a really good coach, and he'll continue to work and improve. He's only 21 years old, and, uh, you know, it's, there's no better place for a guy to be developing than somewhere like that. So um, I, I think that he'll, you know, he's like the Darius Miller of European prospects. You know, he, he's going to really compete on defense. Yep. He's going to, you know, make open shots some of the time. You know, he shot 33% on the season in the EuroLeague in 22 games. So he's not going to shoot 100% like we saw him at the Final Four. Uh, but he's a very efficient player. Uh, he doesn't turn the ball over. He's competitive. He's a solid athlete. He rebounds. He defends. Uh, you know, he doesn't make mistakes. So I think, you know, he's a, he's a good prospect. He's not a great prospect, you know, but yeah. he's a solid prospect. Demetrius Diamantidis, Theo Papaloukas, Antonis Fotis. A lot of times, these top Greek players uh, don't come over to league, or if they do, it's a very short stay. Vasilis Benoulis, another. Uh, with Papa Nicolau, um, do you see him? If you had, if you had to put your money on, yes or no? Is, is he, is he going to play in the NBA? Are we going to see him in the league? I think yes. I think that teams are really interested in him, and he's really interested in playing in the NBA, which is. is different than a lot of the Greek players in the past. Okay. Diamantidis, you know, could have been an NBA rotation guy in his sleep. Of I course. Mean, it's a no-brainer, but he just never had any interest. You know, he yeah. loves playing Greece and um, doesn't really speak, you know, great English, I guess, and doesn't really care about the NBA. You know, everybody's got their own priorities in life. He's making a ton of money. He's winning championships year after year, not this year, but, you know, years past. So, you know, you can't fault him for that. Absolutely not. Not on, not on this podcast, at least. Um, another guy who played in the EuroLeague and produced was the last man standing among the prospects in the EuroLeague, Furkan Aldemir, 6'9", biggin' from Turkey. Um, rebounds, rebounds, rebounds. How much is that going to be worth in this draft? Uh, I think it's worth I think it's worth a lot, you know. Um, it's not, you know, it's um, there's not a ton of... Six nine plus guys in this draft with you know strong frames who you know willing to bang every day on, on every night on the boards and you look at the success of guys like uh, Ilyasova and Ashik you know that's definitely going to help him so you know I think he's going to be a solid pick for someone in that you know in that mid second round area and you do have power forwards um even in that in that area that maybe can do more uh, Mike Scott Kevin Jones Jamichael Green guys like that but. Uh, when you're that deep in the draft, our NBA teams seems like they'd be kind of cool if I'm going to rebound, I'm not going to shoot past eight feet, I'm going to stick, stick around and do my job. You have them compared to a guy, best case, um, Jeff Foster, someone who's done just that and, and turned a lack of really raw talent and skill into a good NBA career. Do you think Furkan Aldemir can come in and, uh, and be a part of an NBA team rebounding right now? I don't, the question is, does he want to? Okay. You know? I mean, that's that's the big question. Um, you know, he signed to a long-term deal in, in Galatasaray, uh, making really good money over there. From what I understand, doesn't really speak English. Uh, I'm not sure if he's even come over for any workouts. Teams don't have a physical on him. You know, so that's the big question with him. You know, I mean, is that is does he? If you draft him, is he ever going to come over? And if if you're his agent, is there? What's the logic in that? What's the logic in keeping your guy an absolute secret? Is it just to, is it just complete disinterest right now in in coming over? So it doesn't really matter to you, or is there some strategy involved there? Well, I don't want 
want to speak about him in general, but I think people need to understand that when it comes to European players, if you if if I'm an agent and I have a, a European player who is a second round pick, you know, if I put him back in a, any team in Europe, I'm going to make a 10% commission. So if he's a million dollar player, I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars right off the bat. Now, if he goes to the NBA and signs for the veteran minimum for half a million dollars gross, I'm the most I can make is four percent. But most likely, I have to split that commission with an American agent. So you're talking about two percent yeah. of five hundred thousand dollars. That's a much much smaller you know piece of the pie you're looking at there. You know, and and and, and then there's the whole uncertainty of is he even going to succeed? You know, he'll be could be a th- two or three year adventure over there where, you know, like Sammy Erdin, you know, where he's not playing, he's uh, he's not making a ton of money, and then he comes back and to, to Turkey or wherever, and, you know, he's not as attractive. He missed a couple years of his development, and so that's a lot of, you know, lost money, you know. So I don't I think Furkan Ondemir, he has a type of agent that would more value having him in the NBA and having that exposure of being able to go out and recruit other European players, but there's other smaller agents, you know, who this is their livelihood, you know. Yeah. You can't really pass up $100,000. Uh, you know, let's say $300,000 over the course of three years for the, for a maybe, you know. I mean, if he does get that second deal, if he blows up the way Ilyasova has, Ilyasova's going to get seven, $8 million, then it really worked out for, for his agent, you know. But if it, if you don't, if you're Yuri Welsh or whatever and you come back three or four years later, you know, like, then what did you really accomplish there? So sometimes it sounds like the, the the best interest of the prospect might get a little bit wrapped up in the agent making sure he's 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 getting his. It depends, you know. There are certain agents that uh, will absolutely do the the best, you know, uh, for 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 their player, and other guys, you know. I mean, you I, you have to kind of understand them, you know. I mean, this yeah. is they're they're trying to put food on the table, you know. They have bills to pay too, you know. So I don't really blame them, but yeah, I mean, there's. If you're a European player, you have to be aware of this dynamic. And uh, moving on to a guy that you know very well, Tornike Shingalia for Spirou Charleroi. He's a Georgian, um, but he's playing in Belgium right now. 6'9", forward. Is he a small forward? Is he a power forward? What do you think? Well, yeah, that's the million-dollar question. You know, I mean, if we had a real answer to that, I think he would have a, a real chance at the first round. Um, he's definitely he's got the ball handling ability and the athleticism of a small forward, even the passing ability. But he doesn't really have the outside shooting. So, and he's and he's he's he's, he's six nine in shoes. So people kind of want to stick him on that four spot. Can he guard fours? He's not really a post up guy, you know. But I think if you look at the NBA today, there's plenty of guys like him. You look at Thaddeus Young. He didn't play a minute at the small forward position. Kind of has that similar type of body type. He's not an athlete like Thaddeus Young is, but there are guys like him out there. Um, so you know, he really helped himself at the Euro camp, and uh, I think he's got a chance to go, you know, maybe even in the late first round if a team really loves him, but more likely 30s, no, you know, 30 to 45. Is it, is it going to be tough for him to find a role in the league because of that tweener status, or is it going to be easy because he really demands so little uh, from an offensive standpoint, doesn't need the ball, kind of goes and and bangs and finds his offense like within the cracks of the system. Is it going to be tough for him to find a role, or do you think it'll be easier? I think it'll be tougher for him because.
because I do think he needs the ball because he's not a shooter. So if you, you know, if you just kind of put him out there on the wing, you know, you're not going to really have to guard him, which makes things harder on everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, he is at his best with, you know, creating his own shot, blowing by guys off the dribble. Um, so he's going to have to go to the right spot to do that. And there's not that many teams that, are going to give him that type of opportunity, especially as a second-round pick. So he's definitely going to have to find the right place. But I think that what really what thing something that worked out well in his favor is that he went to the Euro camp and he really showed his entire game. He showed the the good, the bad, that you know uh, everything. And so anybody that takes him knows exactly what they're getting, and they're prepared for that. And that's exactly what you want, you know, if you're an NBA prospect. It, you have his best case as Andres Nocioni, a guy who, when he's on, is hitting from deep. You think Shingali has any any shot at, at developing any any kind of an outside shot, like mechanically speaking? I think he could be he could develop into an average shooter. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be a great shooter, but I do think he's a guy that if you leave him wide open, he can punish you. Yeah. All right. Um. And a guy that I like probably more than most, and and I I would have getting drafted if if I were a GM. And that's Nihad Djedovic. Uh, um, what do you think about old Nihad, 6'5", 6'6", making things happen on the perimeter? I think he'll probably end up back in Barcelona uh, next year who still owns own his rights. But do you see Nihad Djedovic getting drafted? Are some teams interested, chirping about him? I thought he had a great chance up until the Euro camp, but um, he really had a bad showing there. Um, so I think that that definitely hurt him. Sprained his ankle, I think, on the second day. Didn't come back for the third uh, you know, the story of his career is he's an unbelievable shot creator. He's great with the ball in his hand. He's a great athlete. He gets into gets to the rim whenever he wants, but he's so careless with the ball. He's so turnover prone, and he kind of came into the Euro camp with, you know, that same attitude, you know, just throwing the ball over the place, not really giving a damn whether he's turning it over or not. And, and to me, that was disappointing, you know. So um, I think I, I still like him as a pick in the 50s because I think that, he, you know, as a 6'7 guy who is athletic and has decent shooting mechanics, I do think he'll be a decent three-point shooter in time. He's a good defender. I think he's got potential, you know, and I think he'll be a guy that in two or three years will be playing at a very high level in Europe. Um, I don't think he'll be back in Barcelona next year. I don't think they're really interested in him. Uh, but he could go back to Galatasaray. He was really good there. So um, yeah, it I seems like some somewhere where he has a little bit more, a little bit more reason to rein himself in. Last summer he played great, but that was with the Bosnia and Herzegovina squad that was really wide open um, and let him do whatever. Same Roma earlier this year. Yeah, maybe maybe it'd be good for him to spend one more year Galatasaray or some high level club where where turnovers are costly and you can't make them and, and someone actually coaches him up and coaches him tough. I agree. Um, all right, now, are there any other – actually, oh, we haven't even talked about big man uh, Leon Radosevich, the Croat, last year, uh, two years ago, had incredible numbers for an incredibly terrible team uh, with Sabona in Croatia. And then this year he goes to Milano. I really expected him to have a role. He really didn't. So um, with Radosevich – after playing so well last year for a bad team and doing very little this year for a, a mediocre Milano team, is his stock lower now than it was this time last year? Um, or, or do folks still look at him and say, he's the same guy playing in a different situation and we're going to look at him objectively? He didn't have a good year, but 
I think what happened is that he really came on later in the year. He had a, a, a nice role for for, for uh, Milan in the playoffs. He played like, you know, 10 to 15, sometimes even 20 minutes a game there in the playoffs for Milan. And he had some decent games. A lot of those games NBA teams were at. So I think that that, that kind of gave him a little bit of a boost there. Uh, from what I hear, he's going to be loaned to uh, Litovas Ritas next year, which is, that's a, a great level for him. Yeah. He'll be playing in the EuroLeague. He'll have a, probably pretty much taking Valanciunas' spot and, um, you know, probably play 20, 25 minutes a game. So I know there's some teams in the 50s that like him. Um, he's not going to wow you in any, you know, in any shape or form, but he's just a solid guy. You know, I compare him to Alberto, you know, a guy that just plays hard, solid on defense, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, can make a mid-range jumper, um, not a great rebounder, but, um, you know, solid rotation guy, which, you know, you're looking at the NBA – you can never have enough of, you know. Yeah, and this is a situation where, yes, he's getting he's getting loaned out. So you might think, oh, bad, because that means he's not available for NBA help. But this is really a situation, like you said, going to play for a Euroleague team, um, and one where he'll have a bigger role than he did in Milano, where an NBA team looks at that as a positive, right? That 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 it's guaranteed that he's going to be playing in this higher level of ball, um, really getting a, a hell of a workout and getting to work on some of the kinks of his game, right? Oh, it's a huge positive. I don't think I don't see how you can see it as a negative. Nobody's yeah. looking at Radosevich and saying he, he needs to help now. We need we need Leon Radosevich on the court. Without Radosevich, we have no chance <laughs> at, at, at having a good year. So <laughs> you take him in the fifties. You know he's going to be in a good spot. Um, you know maybe he gets better, and if he does, he could be a, a rotation guy for you down the road. If he doesn't get better, then whatever. You know he's not the worst guy that would draft in the fifties by any stretch of the imagination. All right, so those those are the six that that are showing up most frequently on these mocks. Is there another European guy or another international guy in general that you think could could flash into this draft and kind of take us by surprise, or a couple if you got a couple? There is definitely a couple of them um, that could get picked. I think one of them is Lucas. Yep. Um, you know, who got a little bit of attention this week from John Hollinger. Um, the dude is the most efficient player by far. Um, Plays like he's 28. Yeah. Yeah. 70% true shooting percentage in the EuroLeague. You know, that's that's ridiculous. That's like Steve Nash. So, uh, you know, doesn't turn the ball over. He's not Steve Nash, by the way. But uh, <laughs> just his efficiency numbers are just so freaking impressive that um, that could that – could, and also he's been a winner his whole life. Under 16, under 17, under eight, every com- competition that the guy's played on, he's won the gold medal. And it's always like him taking the last shot with the clock winding down, you know. And he did that like four or five times this year in Olympiacos. G- gave us maybe the shot of the year, that, that 60-footer against Galatasaray to send it to overtime. You know, and for a lot of guys to say that's a fluke, you know, that's luck. Yeah, it's a lucky shot. But somehow, Slukas, someone must like him upstairs because the dude, like, is... He's ha- that's happened to him like a hundred yeah. times in his career. So at some point you start to wonder, you know, is this guy like just like Mr. Clutch, you know? Uh, so I don't know if I, I'd be I'd be surprised if he was drafted, but at the same time I wouldn't be surprised because you know, he's six three, he shoots the piss out of it, he's a true point guard. And he guards, he defends. Not a good draft for point guards, so I mean I don't think you can go wrong with him. Yeah. Yeah, um, and coming off a European uh, Euroleague championship, must like much like Papa Nicolau, so a lot of decision makers were in the building. There is kind of that that championship shine that's still on Slukas and uh, and Papa Nicolau. 
Uh, is there yeah. anyone else that might flash in here? Josep Franck? Or... Guys. I think uh, Turkey Lemans had a great Euro camp. Turkish guy, super athlete, plays his ass off. Didn't really play at all in the Turk- um, in, for Bonneville this year, but was invited to the Turkish national team, which is very interesting. You don't see a guy, you know, the Turkish national team is not going to invite a chump no. to their roster. He made their team and he was at the European Championship last year. And then he goes to the Eurocamp and has a very, very intriguing showing. It would not surprise me at all if someone picked him in the second round. Uh, Darko Planinich had a great year in the Adriatic League, also had a great Eurocamp due to just a bull. He's 6'11", 260 pounds, built like a, you know, a brick wall, uh, plays his ass off, really competitive, not a high-skill guy, but he's not going to make you look bad in the 50s. And then um, Kuzmich is another guy. Malaga is kind of trying to hide him a little bit. They wouldn't let him go to the Euro League, to the sorry, to the Euro Camp. Uh, but had a great year in Lev Gold alongside Alex Sabrinas. Uh, why is that? Yeah. Why, why was why was Malaga trying to play that so close to the vest? Well, it, what, what, how does it help them for Kuzmich to go to the Euro Camp? Yeah. And there's no benefit for them, so they just said no, you know, which a lot of teams do that. And then, and then he, re- and then he signed an extension like a couple of days later. So of course. Um, and then the last guy, there's two more, actually a couple more guys. This is this. There's a lot of guys we're not talking about because it's a deep class for college players. But you know, Ilkan Karaman also had a great Euro camp. Um, dude is jacked. He's a big time athlete. He can make a three-pointer once in a while, had a good year in Turkey. I could see someone taking him in the 50s. Um, Paul Lacombe has kind of come out of nowhere here. Didn't have a great year in France, kind of stuck in the shadows of Leo Westermann, but had a great Euro camp. He's 6'6". He's a freak athlete. He's going to, he's doing workouts now here in the U.S. and, and, and really opening some eyes from what I understand. Uh, another one of these guys, like you say, hey, maybe he's Maybe he's better in an NBA-type setting than he is in, in, in France. Um, I can see someone taking him. And then, you know, you have the biggest guy in the draft. Dusan. Chantikin. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, due to 7-4, he runs really, really well. Doesn't really do anything else very well. Um, not a tough guy, not a skilled guy, not a smart guy. But, you know, <laughs> but other than that, he's great. <laughs> other than that, he's phenomenal. But he's 7-4, and he really can run. That's interesting, you know, and maybe five years from now, you don't know what he's going to be. So you think he could sneak in maybe like San Antonio 59, one of those teams that likes to take a chance and just wait around and see? Yeah, you never know. Why not? Um, and, and Paul Lacombe, you mentioned a guy who's kind of been ascending rapidly toward the end. In your nine years of, uh, of covering the draft here, what's the craziest ascension you've seen uh, from a Euro prospect? I would have to say... Tabo Cephalosha. Uh, this is a guy that in April or May of his draft year, I was literally begging NBA people to go watch him play. He was starting in BLO, who is a team that I'm very close with. And so I went to see him practice. I knew how good he was. Watched a lot of film on him. It was an early kind of stage of us, but we were, we were pumping him pretty hard. And then all of a sudden he comes here for workouts, and the dude just – like fonts up the charts. All of a sudden, people are talking about him as a lottery pick, uh, and um, he ended up getting drafted like uh, 13 or something like that. And now he's playing a nice role for Oklahoma City. It took him a while to to kind of get his feet wet, but um, 
you know, th- that's a good example of a guy that kind of came out of nowhere during the draft process late and, and ended up going the lottery and, and ended up being a, a good pick. And he kind of represents to me a group of uh, Euros that are kind of changing the face of the Euro prospect from the soft outside shooter to the guys like Tabo Cephalosha, Jonas Yurebko, uh, Nick Batum even, who, who are talented but come in and are willing to defend, and that's how they get themselves on the floor. Um, do, you, do, you think, do, you, do you agree with that? Do you think there, there has been kind of a general shift in the way NBA teams are picking their Euros? Yeah, I mean, NBA needs athletes, you know, and, and not every European guy, you know, is this outside shooting, unathletic, can't guard a chair. You know, there's plenty of those too, but, you know, Tapa Cephalosha is, you know, an elite athlete. He's got a 7-3 wingspan. Dude, from every physical standpoint, is a freak. So, you know, there's a lot of guys like that in, in Europe. What's interesting, you know, I mean, we, I don't want to bore people with this, but, like, there's been a huge migration from, you know, all over the world to Europe over the last, you know, 20 years or so. And there's been – and you see this new prospect emerging now with the European fundamentals, but, you know, not the classic European genes. And – um it's really, really interesting. You know, I think you're only going to see more and more of that, you know, like compare it to like uh, the uh, Balotelli guy, you know, who's yeah. playing Italy, you know. It's not your classic Italian striker right there. The dude is, he's an absolute physical freak and he's a, you know, incredible talent. And I think that's something that we're going to see in European basketball in the next couple of years at the same time. Yeah, and if, if you're thinking back here, um, there's been some international picks that, that, you know, I'm always looking at the draft from that perspective. But even when a guy like Ayinga slips into the first round or last year, you hear Tangai and Gumbo and Chukwu DeBerry, Matabom. What have you ever, as close as you are to this draft, you know, you know you, this, is, this is it for you. You know, you're following this thing all year long. But thinking back, what's the most surprised you've ever been when you hear a name off the board? You're like, damn, didn't see that coming, European-wise or international in general. Well, I mean, in Gombo one, like, that's just, like, a classic story, you know? Like, if I ever end up writing a book, like, there's going to be a whole chapter devoted to him. Why not just call the book Tanga and Gumbo? <laughs> exactly, you know? So, um, what, I just love that one, you know? Just, like, ha- catching wind of it, you know? Like, in the weeks leading up the draft, kind of tweeting it out as a joke, you know? And, and then seeing it happen on draft night, you know? Like... It was a long, long draft process, and it's like a long night at the draft, and just kind of ending it that way to me was like you could not have scripted it any more perfectly. <laughs> well, and being in Twitter jail at the time, not being able to gloat about it, that was also uh, very, very, very fun. Um, oh yeah, yeah, you you did get jailed last year in the draft, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I was. Tweet, I think we had like. I think if you tweet more than 200 times in a span of like an hour or two or maybe 100 times in an hour, you get put in Twitter jail. So I'm going to have to be very careful about that. You should like you should like hire an intern to come up like a, with a pitch counter and just and just keep that thing clicking. Well, I actually the problem was that I gave my password away to a couple of people that work for my site. I said, if you see anything interesting, retweet it to our followers because I wanted my Twitter feed to be like if you're not watching the draft it's a great way to follow the draft. Yeah. And unfortunately, it kind of backfired on <laughs> Twitter, jail, try to stay out this year. Um, so this is then, this is a pretty grandiose question I'm throwing your way. Your favorite European prospect 
of all time. They didn't even have to have been drafted necessarily, but someone that you really enjoyed watching, you enjoyed telling people, check this guy out. I'm gonna have to get back to you for the next one on that one. All right, all right. That might have to be a, that might have to be a little post draft podcast. What do you say? No, no problem. All right, and just getting ahead of ourselves too. And this will uh, we'll talk about this more in the next podcast. But um, who's the guy next year to watch? Who, who's the guy that's gonna that's gonna ascend um, from the European ranks or who's already ascended and is, is looked at as a top five, top ten guy for next year? Uh, Rudy Gobert is probably yep. that guy. He really, you know. Uh, had a great Euro camp, really opened up some eyes. He measured off the charts, did he not? He's a freak. The guy is a freak. He's 7-1 in shoes. He's got a 7-9 wingspan, which will be the, the biggest wingspan ever measured in our database, going dates back like 20 years. Wow. And um, he's skilled, too. I mean, he's left hand, right hand, shot blocker, uh, you know, protects the paint, uh, great basketball IQ. You know, his dad was a, was a great player in France, so... Um, Really interesting prospect. Um, skinny as a rail, but he's got a really nice frame, which is going to fill out. You've already seen huge progress in that regard in the last couple of years. So, you know, he looks like a easily a top-five pick. Uh, so it's going to be fun to watch him next year. Rudy Gobert, the guy to watch for next year. Fournier, most likely the first off the board this year. Jonathan Gavoni of DraftExpress.com. Follow him on Twitter, at DraftExpress. Hopefully he can... Stay on the streets, stay out of jail this time long enough on the, the night of the 28th to give y'all the goods. Jonathan, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me, Nick. Well, I'm Nick Gibson. That was Jonathan Gavoni. And that, folks, was the EuroLeague Adventures Podcast. See y'all next time. Hey, I'm a man, so I stand on my own, too. I give a damn by the hater in this whole crew. No jump shots, so I'm selling crack. To tell you the truth, I've been to hell and back. No food in the kitchen, so I'm scraping scraps. Type nigga in the world, can't afford to rap. Now I'm on the hunt for a nigga to jack. Soon as I get rich, I swear I'm giving it back. It's cold out here, you gotta hold your own. I never knew what pain was until it was grown. I never missed my homeboy until he was gone. But life goes on, so if I call, if I fall.